the underground bunker of the Civitas Studio in Raleigh, North Carolina, it's Civitalk with your hosts, Brooke Medina and Ray Nothstein. We're here to connect culture with civics, making it relevant to your daily life. And dare we say, existence at a time where too many are triggered and offended. So, relax, but buckle up and let's wade into the deep end of what's really happening in your old north state. Welcome to another edition of Civitalk. It's Brooke and Ray here. Brooke, we're going to talk Thanksgiving. Uh, we're, we're mighty thankful. We're, we've got shutdowns uh, potentially on the horizon or stricter shutdowns, stricter social distancing measures, stricter rules with the spike in COVID cases. We'll delve into that and what that means in North Carolina and maybe a little bit nationally. Uh, the return of toilet paper shortages is starting to emerge, so we might uh, give that a look. And the latest from the Civitas polls. Brooke, how's it going today? It's going good. Glad to be here, Ray. It is the season. I cannot believe it's only six weeks away from Christmas. Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Where has this year gone? <laughs> uh, it's crazy. And I don't really want to... There's been a lot of blessings in this year. I think spending a little bit more time with family at certain times has been good. And watching you know, a two and three-year-old grow up, I had... I had a two-year-old who was obsessed with um, Halloween. He's now obsessed with Santa Claus. And uh, we took him up to um, Bass Pro Shop to see Santa. And the two-year-old, um, he's like this sometimes. He, he's, he acts all tough. And then we got in the line with Santa. He, as soon as he spotted Santa, he was so excited to see Santa. But as soon as he actually spotted Santa in the flesh, he turned around. He's like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> he's like, this is not what I imagined. Right. So. Mom and dad, we're going to have to pull the plug on this project. <laughs> yeah, he's a very skeptical. He's a tough kid, but he's also very like skeptical of strangers and, and new experiences sometimes. Well, and Santa can be mighty intimidating until you fully grasp that he brings with him tidings of comfort, joy, and lots of presents. Yeah, I so. think he understands that Santa brings present because he was like looking with the catalog with his brothers. And he's like, Santa, bring me this. Santa, bring me this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Well, I um. So what I, what has been my standard practice each year for the kids when they were younger, and I still have a, a one elementary child and one middle schooler, and um. So whenever the Target catalog comes in the mail, and a few years ago when it was Toys R Us, I just would give them a Sharpie and just tell them to circle the things they really wanted for Christmas. And I know every year what they do is they circle practically ninety percent of the catalog. So. Um, gives me options, but it's just funny to kind of see their, their rationale and how they will sometimes negotiate. Well, and it depends on the child because my really frugal child, he'll circle like two things and he will give me a cost benefit analysis. Yeah. I was that strange child that didn't really ask, like my brother would have these long two, three page lists and uh -huh. I didn't really ask for much, partly because I don't think I wanted my parents to spend money, but I'll pat myself on the back and say, while I make jokes about things I want to my wife all the time and how we live this meager existence, which obviously <laughs> we really don't, um, I don't really, I mean, that's one thing, I guess one quality I have is I don't really repine for too many material things. So there's yeah. nothing I look at and go, I just have to have that. I mean, it'd be nice to have a hot tub and lazy river and, you know, a fully stocked bar, but I don't really need those things. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of how James and I are too. I mean, to be honest, it's uh, you know we enjoy going going out to eat and reserving some of our paycheck for that, and 
of course, I'm sure like you, there's uh, we we make sure that we set aside, uh, you know, a respectable amount for generosity too. But um, but when it comes to just like shopping for myself, just take me to Costco. Let me buy some fun stuff in the food aisles <laughs> and maybe like a new pair of wool socks, and I'm pretty happy. Ben. I got a, a Christmas list for my wife. Um, I don't, hopefully she doesn't listen anymore, but um, <laughs> um, there was a necklace on there and it was We've like- We've been around for long. She ain't listening anymore, right? <laughs> it was like, um, I won't say the price, but it was a lot of money on her Christmas list. And uh, I almost fell out of my chair the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I mean- like- serious and i was like wow and it's not even that great (laughs) (laughs) right it was an heirloom piece of jewelry she wants to give it to one of her future daughter-in-laws so make the investment buddy yeah so but i mean i she she deserves it so if i can find a way to make it happen i'm coming up with a few ideas so if i can find a way to make it happen i will that is a very good husband and like you mentioned, she deserves it. She definitely deserves She does more work around the house um, than I do, which, you know, I mean, that's not really saying a lot, but <laughs> compared to me, she does more work. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, okay. I did not foresee our Thanksgiving discussion going down this, uh, going down this path, but I'm here for it. Um, so yeah, let's, okay. We are about to celebrate Thanksgiving. And of course we all know that just things look so different this year for many, many people. Um, but Ray, do you have a particular Thanksgiving tradition and will this year be a deviation from that for your family? You know, moving around a lot. I don't know if we have any, you know, like you, I was a, um, military brat. So I don't know if we have any sort of like ingrained tradition. I mean, when, when I was yeah. living up in Michigan, uh, working at the Acton Institute, I'd go up to my parents' house and we'd have family over. And, you know, at certain times we'd have family over or friends over, um, whether it be on the military base or, or whatnot. That's always been kind of a big part of our, our family and our tradition is just having some friends over or going over to friends or families places. But uh, one thing, and I don't know if I'm going to offend anybody with this, I'm not really big on Thanksgiving food. So Kelly and I kind of have a tradition where we do different stuff. We might do a gumbo or we might do some kind of Cajun dish for Thanksgiving instead of the traditional um, Thanksgiving fixing. So some people may not like that. Some people may send me hate mail for that. I don't have I'm any I'm going to send you hate mail for that. I don't like that. I disagree with you. Yeah, I figured you would. But I, I don't have a problem with people that disagree with me. But there's actually food I like a lot more than sort of your traditional Thanksgiving food. And some of it's good. Some of it I don't like at all. But um, sometimes my wife and I will do like shrimp and grits or something totally different for Thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. uh, if we're the only ones, then nobody else is is, is uh, bothered by it because she's kind of the same way with me on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least you guys are two peas in a pod when it comes to that, because that would not fly in my home. I have to have traditional Thanksgiving food. And I'm one of those people that really just jumbles all the food together. And I know that grosses some people out, but I will make sure that my cranberry sauce is right next to my stuffing so I can have a half a spoonful of both at the same time. And then like immediately wash it down with mashed potatoes and gravy. So I just need, I need that. I need the traditional stuff. I do. But, I do want to say real quick that the Popeyes turkey. I don't know if they're doing it this year. They did, they've done it multiple years. The the turkey you can buy from Popeyes 
and it says fried, but it's not like deep fried. It's just kind of got a slight uh, fried to the to the to the skin or the the outer layer. But that is really really good, Brooke. I have to. I think I have actually had that before, and it is indeed very yummy. Um, oh no, I had the honey baked ham turkey. That's really really good too, but. Uh, yeah, there's some options for those of us that do not cook our own turkeys or aren't very gifted in it, should I say. And so I'm thankful that we can get them elsewhere. But my husband actually um, smokes our turkey. And so I, I, bet, love I, bet, that. I bet that's really good. It's divine. It is so good. But anyways, this is making me hungry, Ray. We need to switch subjects. I do. I do like turkey. But let's uh, let's what are your thoughts? Because you've got some states. North Carolina is a little bit moderated here. I think Cooper... You know, we often criticize Cooper. I think Cooper's trying to pass the buck a little bit, maybe more to some of the counties. But we're seeing, it looks like in a lot of states, aggressive shutdowns on the horizon. I think uh, Kentucky and Michigan look like they're shutting down more aggressively. Of course, you've got states in the Northeast. You had the Pennsylvania governor. I don't know if you saw this, Brooke, but he said if you have anybody in your house who's not a member of your immediate family then every over at your house, then everybody has to wear masks inside That's- the house. Oh, my. And and how are they going to enforce that? How are they going to enforce that? Well, you know, and I don't think it's going to be like knocking down doors with the SWAT team, but they're they're being extensive. And I I know some states are coming up with potential fines uh, for Thanksgiving. If you have more than 10 people, you know, they're they're talking about potential fines. But, you know, I I don't think it's ultimately going to be enforced, but it does show kind of the heavy hand of the state here where they're they're really aggressively. thinking that these lockdowns, you know, we just got to go through another lockdowns and we maybe we can get on the other end of this uh, COVID virus. Yeah, well, and see, so this is the thing. This is like, there's so many opinions and thoughts and competing priorities when it comes to when it comes to COVID and the lockdowns. And I mean, so in my mind, of course, we all need to be ordering these priorities correctly, protect the lives of the vulnerable and also ensure that the state does not infringe unduly on people's personal or or rights and their private property and their ability to earn a living. And so I, I understand the alarm when we see these cases rising. I know here in North Carolina, I'm looking at the uh, Department of Health and Human Services dashboard. And so, so far we have 325,000 COVID cases in the state Currently, 1,538 people are hospitalized, 4,900 deaths. So you, you look at these numbers and you, you put a face to them and you realize this is very, very serious. You and I both know people that have succumbed to this disease. Um, and you, But you also wonder at what point do we begin allowing people to develop human um, immunities to this and also make sure that we are doing everything within our power to ensure that the most vulnerable are protected as to the degree that we can protect them. And I feel like too often we continue to hear from the governors, uh, not only of our state, but other states, especially those that are a lot more um, heavy handed. And they're, they're not thinking of this holistically. And, um, and so their natural response is just lock everybody down again. Yeah, it's really crazy. And, uh, you know, the more I read, and I know I'm not an expert in terms of the epidemiology, um, you know, I had to give blood to pass biology in college. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to like 
showcase myself as a medical expert. I like to read uh, medical journals from time to time, and I'm interested in the topic, but I'm not uh, in any way an expert. But the more I read about the Swedish model, it's, it's, it's always made sense to me, at least to some degree. I know the death rate was a little higher at, at the beginning, but uh, it, it does make a lot of sense to me. And it's frustrating that we continue to go through these these lockdowns, especially and whoever you want to blame. I mean, if you want to blame some Americans who maybe aren't taking the precautions that they need to take, whoever's causing this in terms of the actual case spikes, um, you know, I I do know that there's been some hospitals. They're not inundated, but there's been upticks and some people being hospitalized in certain parts of the nation. But I feel like we have to move beyond lockdowns. I mean, there's just an economic impact. And really, I think the danger to what we're doing to so many young people who aren't handling this well uh, it's not just the mental illness aspect, but the the stunt of maybe development in the schools. Uh, there's been a less than 100, uh, I think, school-aged children that have been killed by this, and we're shutting down schools nationally in, in, in most places. And it's, frustra- it's frustrating to me. I can't imagine if my income and livelihood, uh, like some, maybe some restaurant owner or people who work in the service industry, are entirely dependent on that. And you know, you have government swooping in once again even though that so many of these places have taken great measure to comply with these precautions and these regulations. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and to be told, well, you're not doing enough and, and, you know, people are just not following the rules and we're going to shut you down again. It's got to be incredibly frustrating, Brooke, to, to be on the other end of that and to, to suffer. And, and so I, I was encouraged to see some governors, whether it be Christy Nome, the governor, Kay Ivey of Alabama, came out today and said she's going to do her all in her power to protect the business owners and the business community in the state of Alabama. And I know there are other governors like that, but there's some that I think are just are caving just too quickly. And uh, really, I think, you know, I wonder too how much we'll look back on this virus and just wonder how crazy we were at times. And it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say kind of going into the future and looking back but I wonder if there's some of that when we just see some of all these unintended consequences, whether it be suicides, whether it be uh, just the destruction of families. We're not hearing a lot of these stories right now. I'm not blaming anybody for that, but we're not hearing all of these stories right now because it's just been so focused on the virus itself or just sort of the COVID, the COVID impact uh, from day to day. But we're not hearing just some of the uh, stories from unintended consequences that really is weigh- weighing lace to, to so much of this nation. Well, and how about this from perspective? I I know just as many people that have died from suicide this year as I do from having died from COVID. And so I think that this is this is the one of the essential conversations we need to have and that's why this cannot cannot be an either or proposition from government. It has to be making sure that we're addressing both and I really think that the best, safest way to do that is to ensure the public is educated, um, you know, on risk management on these, uh, you know, mask wearing. I'm fine with businesses requiring their customers to wear a mask. I'm fine with them requiring to put hand sanitizer on their hands before they go into your store. I don't mind those things. I actually had to do that the other day when I entered a store. Um but I'm not okay with us making these trade-offs where we say it's, you know, we only can protect this vulnerable population and we meanwhile ignore those that are really struggling with other health issues. So 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. I mean, uh, you are 100% right because you're right. The one size fits all. And, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I thought the one thing Dan Forrest really hit upon was this idea that, you know, government's really treating a lot of folks like children. And, and we have the ability, we have the ability to go out there and take precautions. We have the ability, I think, to to trust businesses to make uh, good decisions for their consumers, for the shoppers in those environments. And, you know, I hope that continues, obviously. I think it will. Uh, there's a lot of people who take this very seriously. There's a lot of immunocompromised people in this nation that we need to protect. I have no doubt about that. But uh, you're right. I mean, just sort of this one-size-fits-all government mandate. And unfortunately, we may see more of that with, with a change, um, with a potential change in the presidency coming up. So, it's just it's just very frustrating to watch. You know, it's you hope for a vaccine, you hope to return to turn the corner, you hope for some some positive news. I know the market's up, and I, you know I, sometimes it's forward looking, and and hopefully they're seeing you know a light at the end of the tunnel of this on this. But it is it's just hard to watch because you know there's a lot of people out there suffering, and you, you like I said before, you just don't hear those stories all the time. I don't think the media is doing a good job of telling those stories. You've got some doing that, but not enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one person that has been good that I've been following on Twitter, uh, some of our listeners may know Nick Ochner from WBTV out in Charlotte. He's an investigative journalist and is excellent at holding government officials accountable. Um, but maybe some don't know that his wife works for the Associated Press and her name is Sarah. Um, I, I want to say Sarah Ochner, but it's not. Uh, she goes by a different last, her maiden name, Sarah. I'm looking it up real quick. Um, I can't find it right now. I will have to update that later. But uh, anyways, she covers military at Fort Bragg, actually, and does a lot regarding service members and um, and just like the, the suicide issues that go along with that. And she's also, I believe, reported on that relationship with COVID and mental health, stuff like that. And so I appreciate journalists like that who are, oh, Sarah Blake Morgan is her name. But she's an excellent journalist. So is Nick Ochsner. He's holding the government accountable, uh, as the fourth estate should. But uh, like you mentioned, there are there's plenty of room for journalists to continue to take up these stories and actually do a little bit more digging on this. Absolutely, I'd love to just just see some of the economic waste that's going on and the, kind of the wasteland for a lot of people and the small businesses. I mean, you know, I th- saw. Uh, data about the record, and I'm not criticizing the record profits from Walmart, Target, uh, Lowe's, and some of these big box stores, but it's amazing how well they've done during this pandemic, but yet so many small businesses have been laid to waste, uh, and, and it's really tragic because small businesses, people forget this, small businesses are the biggest employers uh, in the country, and um, you know they they are the, the livelihood of our economic output, and uh, it's important that we have a very vibrant and healthy small business. Another concern, Brooke, let's, let's pivot to this. Are we going to see toilet paper shortages again? We are already seeing toilet paper shortages again, no. Ray. Did we not learn our lesson? <laughs> yeah, I guess not. And, uh, we didn't get the supply chain on lock on this. Apparently. I guess I'll have to check my stash because, uh, we didn't, <laughs> I feel like we were never one of the hoarders, but, um, you know, I have to check and I have to make that run and, you know, to maybe the different stores and, Act like a, oh, a crazy well, lunatic. 
My sister sent me a video of, I think she lives here in Raleigh as well. I think she was at like the Food Lion on Capitol Boulevard or something like that. And she's walking up and down the toilet paper aisle on video and there's nothing. It's all gone. Oh my gosh. So if you're listening to this and you live in a smaller area that maybe still the toilet paper shortage hasn't reached there yet, better go ahead and stock up. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) So let's talk about, we got another poll, a post-election poll at the Civitas Institute, and it looks like we got some good honesty in that poll. We got some good feedback. Why don't you tell us a a little bit about the highlights? I think it just came out today. So if you're listening to this, it came out uh, late last week as you listen. So why don't you, Brooke, you give us some highlights from this poll and anything that stood out to you or anything that may have been a surprise. Okay, so one of um, one of the biggest questions I heard, and I think you heard this a lot too after the election, is how could a state that went for Trump vote for Cooper? How did how come Dan Forrest didn't win? And um, I think that is probably the most oft asked question that I've heard from North Carolinians since the election. Hey, bro. And, yeah, I don't know anybody that voted for Cooper. <laughs> so therefore. <laughs> There's a conspiracy. There clearly is. There's an election fraud. I thought you'd appreciate that. (laughs) So many Republicans did win at the state level. Um, And so, yes, a ton of people are calling for investigations. I think there's a change.org petition out there for a recount for the gubernatorial votes. Um, So our poll asked hundreds of likely voters. And we looked at uh, the respondents that voted for President Trump and Cooper. And um, what we found were that these voters that did that Trump-Cooper vote were most likely to fit that profile of the working class voter that is central to President Trump's populist coalition. And so this, these are people that working class, they, re- they, um, they resonate with Trump's sort of populist message um, that that is broadly appealing to many, many people. Um, and they seem to also resonate with Governor Cooper's message, whatever that is, although his message seems mighty elusive and slippery to me. Um, most of these voters, though, also this Trump-Cooper vote voter, are more likely to have a lower education level, and nearly three in four say they voted for Trump in 2016 ideologically, they are somewhat conservative and moderate is how they identify themselves. Um, Most of them live in the Charlotte media media market, which is kind of interesting. So they're Western part of the state. And they are somewhat less likely to be Republicans and more likely to be Democrats or unaffiliated voters. So in essence, there are more Democrat registered voters that voted for Trump than Republican registered voters that voted for Cooper. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's definitely interesting. What do you think the big appeal is with Cooper to them? I mean, just on face value, because I think one of the interesting things about Cooper, maybe the first time you could kind of confuse him uh, to be a moderate. He'd been in state government a long time, obviously, but he wasn't necessarily seen as an ultra liberal. But this is one thing I bring up on the radio a lot is I can't ever think of one thing, one issue that Cooper delves away from the Democratic Party on. And then I'm talking about the modern Democratic Party, the National Democratic Party, which is very, very, uh, you can certainly make the case, is very far left, uh, certainly for a lot of swing voters. And I think you saw in North Carolina, they tended to go uh, with the Republicans overall just because maybe they just feel a little bit disillusioned by you know some of the calls about defunding the police. And I know that's not Cooper's 
rhetoric overall, but why do you think Cooper is able to draw so much appeal from them? Do you think it's mostly his kind of COVID response, which could be uh, interpreted as being responsible and he's on the ball? Or do you think there's some other reason in that as well? Yeah, no, I, I do think what you said about the COVID response, honestly, if you're not a small business owner and you're someone that has the ability to work remotely, I don't know if there's as much of an impetus um, or if you don't have small children at home or don't have school age kids. I think that for a lot of those people that don't fit those categories, they see what Governor Cooper's doing as being responsibly cautious. And so especially the older voters that went uh, went for Cooper, um, I think that they they believe he's looking out for them. And even though if you look into Governor Cooper's statement, some of the things he said maybe that are a little bit hidden beneath the surface and they're not making the the um, the news headlines, you'll realize that he is pretty progressive like what you noted. He's lockstep with the National Democratic Party, but a lot of people still see him as reasonable and moderate. Yeah, and Cooper, so Cooper's been is reality. Yeah, Cooper's been very successful in kind of picking his battles in North Carolina because you know, it's early in his term course there was super majority and he was able to kind of pick his battles he he invested heavily on teacher pay he invested heavily on medicaid expansion while uh you know those are slightly left to center they aren't the extreme of the democratic party today so i think he benefited in some ways although he did he ended up not winning on those issues he, he benefited in some ways by appearing uh, a little bit more moderate than maybe some of his party party nationally so no doubt about it. Um, and I was wrong. I was somebody who predicted. I thought maybe because I think there was about 10 percent or 11 percent of Cooper voters in 2016 or Trump voters that voted for Cooper in 2016. I thought it would be a little bit less this time only because, you know, the the appearances would be more striking. It would be more of a contrast mm-hmm. uh, in, in different voting. And I did you know, I thought Cooper would win, but I thought he may pull a little bit less of the Trump vote. And it appears like he pulled a little bit more this time than maybe even 2016. Isn't that wild? I, I, it's just so, so odd to me, but. Um, but it's not a vast, yeah. vast conspiracy is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Well, and this actually goes to my next uh, polling result point, which is we asked these voters, how confident are you that the 2020 election in North Carolina was held fairly? Mind you, these are registered voters across the state, at least 500 of them. And more than two-thirds of them said that they are confident that the election was conducted fairly, which is interesting because when you took to Twitter right after the election, um, you would not have thought that number was that high. But that still means that one-third of those that voted aren't aren't very confident in our election's fairness. And so that's still a high enough number to be a problem. Um but given just kind of all the rancor that we've heard from the, you know, on the news and from people on social media, I'm actually surprised that we had 68% election confidence. Yeah, it'll be interesting if that changes after this newbie Beasley race shakes out because you've got some people, just because it's so close, concerned there could be some sh- shenanigans maybe again in uh, Durham area. So that'll be interesting to see if that would change if something kind of crazy or just off the wall maybe happens with this recount of the Beasley newbie race. I think newbie's up 400 something votes. So it's going to some kind of recount. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I mean, that was an amazingly close race. I really didn't think that the Republicans were going to be able to win all three of those 
judicial races, especially in the way that they were outspent. But Republicans did well statewide. I mean, outside of that governor's race, uh, they almost knocked off a very popular, at least popular in the sense with um, you know the political prognosticators, Josh Stein. I mean, that's how close and overperforming the Republicans did in North Carolina overall is that they you know, they got into the range of potentially knocking off Josh Stein, came up just short, but it was, it was very interesting. Um, yeah. It was very interesting. This is something I saw on social media. Um, our friend Andy Spay is reporting this, but others uh, have noted this. Laura Trump potentially running for Richard Burr's seat in 20, I guess that would be 2022. Um, just interesting. Interesting. Oh my. Yeah. So. <laughs> really? He's from North Carolina. Uh, I'm sure but she has a house North here. Carolina she from? Do you know? You know, I honestly, know I don't know. I guess I could look that up real fast, but uh, I think she's from the she's eastern not. part of the state. I don't know if it's if it's uh, near this the coast, but um, I'm looking it up right now too. I'm, oh, she's from Wilmington. Yeah, I knew she was from that area. I just wasn't sure if it was actual the city of Wilmington. But cool, uh, that's so neat. I did she, not realize. She always that. seems nice to me on. Um, She's got a different persona um, than her father-in-law, and I'm not. I'm not criticizing Trump. He's he's a he's a uh, puncher, and a you know if you hit him, he's going to hit you back four times as hard. But Laura Trump just seems to have a, a little bit of of niceness to her, and that could benefit her. I, some of the media is making fun of this, but you know, let's be honest. If Michelle Obama was going to run for Senate, the media would cheer and applaud that, you know. And so, um, it, it, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the media would. You would see the double standard there. So I think she might be a force, Brooke. I mean, you, you're going to have some different people lining up, I think, for that race. But I wouldn't discount her. I know a lot of the media are laughing about this right now. But um, she expressed, I think, interest. And maybe she's just show, throwing that out to reporters as a possibility. And maybe she's ultimately not interested. But that would be an exciting race. Laura Trump versus uh, a, a, potentially somebody like Josh Dine in 2022 be interesting. That would be, that would be, I, um, I do not know much about Laura Trump, but, uh, like you mentioned, she strikes me as an amiable person and seems to have sort of a gentler way about her. I could be wrong, but that's just my perception. Well, um, she's very pretty. I mean, that's something that's, well, yeah, she's gorgeous too. There's well, that. She, and she's got a great, she is married style. to Eric Trump, who, um, I think Eric Trump's a little more measured than than Don Jr. Uh, just kind of my perception. He seems like it. Yeah, you know, Do- Donald Jr. is a little bit more like his dad. He likes to throw bombs, and Eric sometimes is a little bit more measured. Eric can throw some bombs too, but he's a, he's a little bit more measured. And uh, you know, this is uh, they have they have children. They have from from what I can tell, and this isn't you know this is a valid criticism. The Trumps haven't had great marriages, but. It appears at this moment Eric and, and Laura have had a pretty healthy marriage. That'll be just an interesting race. Um, just throwing that out there if, if she decides to run. It'd be fascinating to see how well she would do. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we are out of time for this week, and there's so much more to discuss. Like, who we would have at our table for Thanksgiving out of all the politicians in our poll that we listed. But all you guys have to do is just go to ncivitas.org and check our polling tab. It will be the most recent poll and you can see how your fellow North Carolinians voted on that front. Who would they sit at the table with on Thanksgiving? Uh, Trump, Biden, Cal Cunningham. You'll just have to go check out our website to find out. So thank you all. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, we will catch you next week. Thank you.